Hi, this is Stuart Weems and thanks for listening to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about the best practice with cash flow management and things like uh, do you need to track every single cent every single month or is high level budgeting okay? And how do you know if you're spending too much in comparison to your peers? So quite often when I meet clients, they don't really have a good sense of where they're spending, what their spending looks like. You know, is it below the average, above the average, about average, and what to expect? And that's kind of important because if you're already spending below average, then it's likely any further effort in managing cash flow is probably going to be wasted. You know, it's not probably not the best effort. Uh, however, if you don't realise you're actually spending way more than the average, for example, well, then there's some potentially some really hidden value there in maybe just tightening a little bit in terms of your cash flow management strategies. Now, you might have heard the saying, it's not what you earn, it's what you spend that counts. And there, it couldn't be uh, truer, I think, uh, in respect to financial planning. I've met people on seven-figure incomes that have... Uh, virtually very little wealth to sort of show for all their efforts. Uh, conversely, I've got uh, clients on five-figure five incomes that have accumulated substantial wealth. Uh, so really, it's about cash flow management, in my mind, for most people, you know, more than 97, 95% of people, uh, it's, it's more about avoiding overspending. And in my mind, overspending is really spending on things that don't really add anything to your standard of living. And uh, if you can eliminate that wastage, and it's wastage because it's not really adding any value. If you can eliminate that wastage, then for most part, people make pretty wise decisions in respect to cash flow. The other thing too is that small numbers add up, and we don't realise that. So um, looking at it on a daily basis or a weekly basis, it can... Um, I think provides you with an unrealistic uh, idea of really where your money's going. But looking at it on an annual basis really gives you that longer-term perspective. So let's look at the cost of doing nothing. You know, if you um, go and spend everything you earn, and if you're looking listening to this podcast, you're probably not one of those people, but if you go and spend everything you earn, you know, the worst case is that you don't have any assets to fund retirement, you're leading to the equity in, in a home if you own one, and you could be left uh, living in public housing on an age pension, which is about 36000 or just less than $36,000 a year per couple. Uh, so, you know, you're not going to have a very good um, standard of living if you don't manage cash flow well. So really there's two types of expenses, discretionary and non-discretionary. Non-discretionary are all the things that we have to pay for, electricity, insurance, food, and so forth. Of course, we can um, find savings in, in non-discretionary expenses, but that's typically not where the leakage is. Um, you know, we should do things like looking at, at our electricity bills, and um, there's, a, there's a bunch of financial hacks that we went through last year uh, that are on our website, and the link is in the show notes. Uh, so certainly check them out. And, and some easy wins are like electricity, phone bills, these sorts of things. And there's good tools out there now that will compare what you're paying with other providers and switching is very easy. But so, it, so those things should um, require some attention every one to two years. Uh, but, but really that's not where the crimes are being committed. Crimes are being committed mostly in the, non, in the discretionary expenditure space. And so that is 
um, things, uh, expenses that we incur that aren't really um, necessary, aren't absolutely necessary. So that include holidays and clothing and entertainment, eating out and these sorts of things. Um, research shows that expenditure on stuff, on things, shoes, clothing, um, I was going to say wine, but I'm not going to include wine on purpose because that's an investment. Um, uh, the expenditure on stuff doesn't add anything to our standard of living longer term. It's the experiences that matter. So, you know, have you ever re recollected, sat together with your partner and recollected about the shoes that you bought ten year, uh, two years ago? Or are you most likely to recollect the holiday that you went on, do you know, to remember going to Paris two years ago and went to that place and so forth? That's what we really reminisce about and that's what really um, provides that long-term benefit, that long-term added benefit. So I would say that, um, you know, when you're looking at, uh, discretionary expenses, um, we, we have to have balance. We can't eliminate them all because, you know, who knows, we might be hit by a bus tomorrow, so we've got to live for today. But by the same token, we can't um, ignore tomorrow and spend everything we earn. And really, we've got to spend within our means. And if you're not in a situation, a financial situation, where you can just go and buy a $1,000 pair of shoes on a whim, then don't do that. Lower your ego um, and spend well within your means. Buy the shoes by all means, but maybe it's something that you've got to save for over a number of months or years. You know, it's interesting that there's this sort of, I guess, new movement called FIRE. It's an acronym and it stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And, and the whole um, idea around FIRE is reducing your expenses to absolute minimum, a lot more than what I'm talking about, like being a complete Scrooge for as long as possible so that you can retire as, as soon as possible. Uh, so, so people that subscribe to this FIRE sort of methodology uh, are trying to retire in their 30s or even early 40s, so very early retirement. And it's all, all around expense management. Now, I don't think necessarily that um, methodology is right, and I would ask, you know, well, what are you going to do once you retire? Because uh, it's, uh, quite often we get meaning and purpose from, from the work that we do day to day, and if that's gone, you know, what do we do? But anyway, putting that aside, the FIRE methodology demonstrates how important expense management is. So the interesting observation that I make or that I've made over the last 17 years of working with clients is we all tend to spend the same amount, which is weird, right? Because you think that we all have different, uh, different interests and we, we like different things and we live in different locations and all these sorts of things. But if I know a client's situation, so whether they're married and whether they have children, and even potentially how old the children are, and if I know what their family income looks like, so what, what each partner is earning, um, then I'll be able to estimate what they're spending or what the average person spends and with a, probably an 80%, 90% success rate. So of course there's outliers, but within a band, I'll be, I'll be pretty accurate around that. So... Um, and so I find that I find it kind of interesting, but it provides some context for you, I guess, to measure your own personal situation and ascertain, look, is expense management something that's going to add a lot of value to me or am I already doing a pretty good job? And so the way I measure it is by general living expenses. And general living expenses includes everything except home loan repayments, any investment expenses, so including investment properties, uh, excludes any additional super contributions, which are often discretionary, school fees, childcare fees, 
um, any substantial holidays or one-off expenses like renovations or buying a car or something like that. So if you add up everything you've um, spent over the last 12 months and you remove all those things, home loans, insurance, super, etc., all the things that I said, that's what I would refer to as your general living expenses. And so in the show notes, what I've done is I've got a table which sets out what a gen- what the general living expenses should look like. So if you're a single person um, with a relatively modest income, you know, maybe you're earning $80,000 a year, um, so let's say sixty dollars to $90,000 a year, for instance, your living expenses are probably likely to be in the forty dollars to $55,000 range. Um, if you're a young couple, maybe in their 30s with a family income of, say, one hundred and Forty odd to one hundred and eighty thousand, so maybe one couple, one person's earning ninety and the other person's earning seventy, for example. Uh, their living expenses are likely to be in the sixty to eighty-five thousand dollar range. This is the annual amount. Uh, a couple with two kids with a family income of say one seventy to two fifty, probably spending eighty-five to one twenty, and it's generally difficult for people to spend more than one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So I estimate that less than 5% of my clients would spend more than $150,000 and probably it maxes out about two fifty. dollars Pretty hard to spend more than $250,000. Not impossible, but but difficult. So that gives you a general sense. So I think most people, you know, 80% of my clients would be spending somewhere in the vicinity of seventy dollars to say $120,000 on general living expenses. Again, it excludes home loan, investment expenses, school childcare fees, super contributions, and uh, large sort of one-off holiday type uh, expenses. So if you, uh, so what you need to do really is, um, is measure what you're spending at a, at a higher level. So, so it'd be great to sit down and work out what have you spent over the last 12 months and compare it to my ranges and see where you lie. And if you're in the midpoint of the range or if you're actually within the range, then it's likely you just need to relax, enjoy life a little bit and know that you're managing your expenses well. However, if you're outside of the range, uh, that is above the range, um, then there's potentially a fantastic opportunity for you to make some very small changes that are unlikely to be painful uh, that will um, generate significant benefits for you. And as the saying goes, you can't manage what you don't measure. So it's all about measurement. And so if you're inside the range, just keep measuring your cash flow at a high level. Don't worry about the dollars and cents. Do it. You've obviously got some good um, practices and disciplines around expenditure. Uh, so just measure at a high level and make sure you stick within the range. If you're outside the range, you need to do more work. You need to have a tighter budget. You need to t- keep track of where your expenditure is. And what you need to do, and I've got some links in the in the show notes, what you need to do is um, uh, do an exercise by looking and finding looking at all the non-discretionary expenses, is there anything you can do there? They're easy wins because they certainly don't um, have any impact on your standard of living. And when it comes to uh, discretionary items, have a look at which are the bigger items. Is there one or two, and there typically is, one or two um, items where most of the money is going and what can you do about that? Um, and the, the key there, the, the um, suggestion, my suggestion, is don't reduce the regularity, um, just reduce the average spend with discretionary items. So if I love going out to dinner and I do it two to three times a week, keep doing it two to three times a week, but go to a cheaper place or don't order a bottle of wine, have a glass, or if you're going to order a bottle of wine, go a little bit cheaper rather than more expensive. 
Um, there's lots of research, by the way, of blind uh, wine tastings that price is actually is is a placebo impact uh, rather than a, a, an actual um, I- impact. But anyway, that's a, another another uh, podcast for another day. Um, so uh, if you are above the um, the spending limits that I've sort of outlined, uh, that's the first thing to do is go through and look through your expenses and try and um, reset get um, and and understand where those savings are and and um, don't try and necessarily go from all to nothing in a very short uh, space of time what you want to do is start changing your habits slowly so you know cut one expense this month do that for a couple of consecutive months and then cut another expense and so forth and you'll find it a little bit of a less painful process and you're more likely to stick to it um, the second tip is get some help. You know, coaching and, coaching and accountability um, uh, provide significant bene- benefits. And I think there's no better um, example of that than, say, uh, personal training. You know, if I, if I want to get fit and lose weight, if I have a personal trainer, they're going to hold me accountable. I'm going to pay a fee to them. And then that's more, li- more likely then to get out of bed and go to that personal training session because I know someone's going to be asking me if I don't do that, they'll be on the phone later in the day saying what happened why didn't you turn up is it not important enough for you so speak to your accountant or independent financial advisor if you're having trouble managing cash flow and they can help you through um, that process but most importantly can hold you accountable for achieving those results and my final comment if you are outside the ranges is um, or, or you don't have a strong surplus cash flow so you're spending you know most of your income if you're have preschool age kids. So if you've got young kids that aren't yet in school, the chances are it's a, it's a very difficult time to have a cash flow surplus. So the chances are that your expenses are unusually high and your income is unusually low. And for a period of time, it, you know, as, as you, when you do have young kids, it's very difficult to achieve, for some people, depending on your income, to achieve a cash flow surplus during that time. So, you know, don't agonise over it. Just make friends with that. Um, realise that you're kind of in that situation and there's uh, maybe not a lot you can do. So what's the point of all this? Well, the point of all this is to, is to, have, is to spend less than you earn and invest the difference. And really that's the most powerful, I guess, a, a bit of advice uh, really to anyone and particularly younger people because they've got the fullness of time, but really everyone. Um, that's the pa- most powerful, uh, I guess, strategy or thing to... to um, make friends with or understand when building wealth. It's really about spending less than you earn and investing the difference. I was speaking with some clients yesterday um, where they're just transitioning into retirement and and the client made the comment to say, you know, you, when you start off doing all these things when you're younger, contributing to super, investing in property, you never really know how it's going to turn out. You know, you hope this is what you're doing, but then to see the 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 benefits and to reap the benefits of all those past decisions and he acknowledged he hasn't got everything right but he's got enough right to put himself in a position where um, they'll have a very comfortable retirement and so ultimately that that the only reason that occurred is because they spent less than they earn and they invested the difference over a long period of time and that's the point of cash flow management is to find the the biggest surplus possible and then make some good decisions around that so what can you do with your surplus cash flow well there's a whole bunch of things you could invest uh, reduce debt sorry reduce or offset debt you can make additional super contributions 
You could borrow to invest in property. Uh, you could invest in a low-cost diversified index portfolio, so that is the share market. And you could do that just with your cash flow or maybe you could complement your cash flow with a little bit of borrowings uh, at a conservative level. Um, you could invest in uh, commercial property, bonds, fixed interest securities, other assets. Lots of opportunities. And which tactic, which of those tactics um, is, is most appropriate for you? Obviously, depends on your situation, risk profile, your goals, how far away you are from super. But the point is that if you don't have a surplus cash flow, you, you don't have those opportunities. You know, you don't have to make those, uh, those decisions. So there's lots of links in the show notes. Uh, to lots of different tools and strategies. Check out the table uh, with the um, general living expenses, the estimates, the ranges there. Um, it's some, some really important, I think, valuable information that I've acquired over the last 17 years. Um, and do that exercise for yourself. Let's see where you are uh, from a, a cash flow management perspective. And um, who knows, there might be uh, some ways to to find uh, greater value in uh, what you're doing or how you're managing your money. And I would say for 90% of people, they can tighten up their cash flow management and it has very, very little impact on their standard of living because that's, that's always the fear is that, you know, if I start doing this, if I start looking closer, I'm going to have to make some massive sacrifices. Look, maybe 10 or 10% 10 or less of people, it will be painful. You'll have to make um, some sacrifices and, and that'll, that'll have a... Uh, a bit of short-term pain for long-term gain. But for most people, uh, it's, it's a very simple task and, um, and they can find a greater surplus cash flow. Uh, so as always, if you enjoy the podcast, please do share. Um, but until next week, bye for now.